pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Samuel? Sam. Come closer. Turn around. What? I want to take a look at you. Down on the beach. Sarah's going to need your help. I have to sort out Ruth's trust in England. She's your mother. But you're going to help look after her whether you like it or not. The main thing is her leg. I just need your help with moving her, really. Keeping her company. Believe me, this is far more humiliating for me than it is for you. Gin to here, water to here, and a squeeze of a lemon. So how much does an alcoholic drink anyway? Two cases in two weeks. Oh, that's impressive. <laughs> yes. Don't ever water it down. Do you like another shot? Seems I've run out of ammunition. I'm surprised you've sent him away to boarding school. He always said it ruined your life. Keeps him out of trouble. Why did you come here? <laughs> I'd have some small talk first. You have a broken leg and you and Dad hate each other. No, I don't hate him. She was really there, on the front lines, taking photos. She looks like she's had a lot of fun. I think we should have a party. Oh, I guess the word got around. <laughs> you sound like my kind of people. What do you want? One more passionate love affair. I should never have allowed her into our lives. She'll go back eventually. That would be a shame. Most people like sunsets. I love the sunrise. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm talking with Matthew J. Seville. He is the writer and director of the 2021 film Juniper, which is making its way around the U.S. now. Definitely check it out, and I hope you enjoy this interview. Obviously, I want to talk to you about Juniper, but I would love to know a little bit more about you and your history and really how you got into show business. It's just always been a calling for me. I've always wanted to tell stories and I just gravitated towards film. I think I tried to write a novel when I was 13, like a really bad fantasy novel with people in town mail, that kind of a thing. I suppose it's just always been a kind of a calling. I started acting. I went down to university and started doing the drama course, did the playwriting course there and writing was really the way into it. And then through writing, I started making films and and then I wanted to take them all the way through. Can you tell me a little bit about some of your acting roles? Because I know I've seen you in things like Black Sheep, and I think you were in, what, The Water Horse? And uh, I've got an extra in Black Sheep and the, and the Water Horse. But the more notable, I mean, I've been in Spartacus and a few shows that you've had over here, and there's a lot of Kiwi shows, and I've got a small role, and I think that I'm trying to think of an American movie. Well, you're an axe, right? Yeah. For some reason, they made it in New Zealand and I got to do a Texas accent, which I won't attempt right now. 
Yeah. So those kind of things, lots of theater. And then, and I love, I love acting, but it's just been pushing that aside and moving towards creating my own work and films and TV, really. How did Juniper come about? What was the inspiration for it? My grandmother, I didn't really know her and she broke her leg and she moved over to New Zealand to live with us for the last six months of her life. And she did drink a lot of gin and water it down with half and half, that kind of a thing. And she did terrorize our household with her bell and she was very smart and funny. And so I took her, I took the idea of her and created a story around that and this young man. So it's not me, it's own story, but it is based on real things. And so my grandmother had been in the Spanish Civil War and was secreted out to safety. And so I, she was born on the same da- date as the, the same year as Martha Gellhorn, who you may know as one of the great American war journalists. So I looked at women like that and, and my own, my grandmother's sort of personality and created this character of Ruth. How was it working with Charlotte Rampley? Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. She's so awesome. She's authentic and great where you stand with her. She's friendly and she wants to collaborate. She likes I think she came for the film because she liked the script and so on, but she also came for the, uh, when we finally convinced her, she came for the experience and the adventure. So that's the kind of person she is. She's cool. Yeah. How did the film actually come together once you had it all written? We have a government funding body in New Zealand and we went through the process and then the final financing um, part of it, it took a while. We, it was, I suppose it was dependent on Charlotte saying yes. (laughs) We went through a process of wooing her. And she'd managed to get her the script. Her agent read it and said, look, I really like the script, but it's highly unlikely New Zealand's a long way away. And she passed it on to Charlotte and Charlotte said, I won't come and I won't do the film, but I'll read the script. And she read the script and then said, I really love it, but it's still too far away. And so, so I wrote her a kind of a, I know, a fan love letter thing and said, I'm coming to Paris. And we took some Kiwi gin, me and the producer ran around and managed to convince her to do three days with me. She had a few concerns about the story and I think she felt that we would collaborate and get on and then she said yes. Yeah. Did I just hear you right? You only had three days with her or was that when you were in Paris? In Paris, I had three, three days with her. Yeah, we didn't make the film in three days with her. No, like imagine if we could do, that would be like, <laughs> take one, good, good, let's move on. Take two, brilliant. <laughs> and your young actor that plays Sam, how did you come across him? Oh, we just, auditioned everyone and he rose to the surface. I think we looked at about 250 young men. You're looking for anyone. They don't have to have experiences. So we gave them a, just a, for an audition, we said, just tell a funny story and a sad story, no words, no text or anything. He, a whole bunch of people came through and then we started seeing if they could actually hold the role or if they could act. And he was just great. And his audition was strong. I never, I hadn't met him actually until he came. We cast him via Zoom and self tapes. And he just, he was just great. And the chemistry that he has with Charlotte is amazing. They really had chemistry. When the first shot that we did with them, that was, I got a smile on my face because I thought, well, you know what, if these two have chemistry, then that's great. And the film's going to be watchable. And we didn't have much rehearsal. So we might've had one or two days max. And we did things like George, got George to write a handwritten letter to Charlotte before he met her. And he said, Hey, I'm nervous. It's so lovely to be in this film with you. And then she wrote back to him. And she was really great. She really looked after him. They formed a strong, strong connection. Yeah, it's so important for a role like this. It's just such a relationship movie. Not only those two, but then also her caregiver, 
Sarah is wonderful as well. Yeah, I remember Sarah's audition, like we were auditioning all these people, they walked in, and uh, I was with the casting director, Miranda Rivers, and uh, Edith Poor, she came in, she did her audition, and then we were just silent afterwards until she left the room. Oh my God, it's going to be really hard for anyone else to come in and, and, and beat her. She was a wonderful find. I think she's great. So what was it like making your first feature film? It's all the joy and all the pain all at the same time, really. You work so hard to get it up and then suddenly you've got to do it. And uh, there's a huge weight, like a, there's a creative weight and, and, and a financial weight on your shoulders because time is money. So you've got to, you've got to move quickly and all those things. But it was a huge amount of fun. Everyone involved was really into the story and that sort of flowed flowed through it so there was a lot of love but it was intense but there's a sort of a nice feeling when you write something and you don't know if it's gonna work you write a scene you don't really know until in the can but there's a sort of a nice feeling of actually that that's come together so it was stressful and wonderful well i'm sure you have a lot of empathy with your actors being an actor yourself i'm sure you're able to bring a lot to that aspect of directing yeah it's the most important thing like you said it's about human connection this film and so working with those four actors and just allowing them to feel like they could bring themselves, but also to steer it in the right way. This is sort of a delicate kind of act. And it's something I really, I really enjoy. I suppose the idea of being on set and going and doing a show and you get to know what directors do or don't do that allows people to be, to be free and available and vulnerable on screen. That's really helpful. I know New Zealand was very specific when it came to COVID restrictions. Was this shot during COVID or before or after? This was shot before COVID. So literally we, we finished the film and got into the edit suite and a week later I was packing up computers and moving into moving the, them into my place and the editor had his suite and I had my suite and we just worked in between Zoom and Skype and that kind of other thing. That had to have been a challenge for you. It was because it meant that whatever I shot in those five weeks, that was it. There was no pickups. There was no like, oh, we didn't get this. Can we come back? So the film is everything we got. There was no way to go back and try again. But there's something fun about that though as well. Sure. About the little editing at the end of the world type of thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. And my editor's no, he's he's the kind of guy, he's old school. He doesn't want to get a pickup. He wants to like make it work. And so it's, so that's really cool. And I'm happy with, I'm not sitting there going, oh, I wish I could have picked up that or, you know what I mean? Tell me a little bit more about the post-production process. I, I really like music in the film. The music is, it's Marlon Williams, who's, he's a famous Kiwi, sort of old country. He's developing a style. He does a lot of acting as well. So he was in A Star Is Born. He played uh, the singer who plays the Roy Orbison song. That's him. And I love his music and I knew I wanted to put it in the film. So we got him on board and during the cut, we were throwing a few of his tracks in the film and they just, they transformed it. And so I knew it was the right choice. And then he came on board to sculpt that through. And so it was really interesting, you know, that score thing and how you, where you place music because the film is funny, but it's also moving and so on. So just really felt like I didn't want to overly score moments because I want you to be able to feel the emotions without being told. There is a lot of score in there, but not a huge amount. And it's there to take you through. And then maybe at the end, it lifts you and carries you along. And then Marlon also and Merck, um, 
they wrote that Belly of the Beast song, which should be released at some point. But and it was like, a, I remember the moment they played it to me, they got this track and I was like, oh, okay. And it's, anyway, they just, and I just got tingles as I listened to it for the first time. I was like, oh, this is great. Can you tell me a little bit about the premiere and the, how it's been released over the last few years? We didn't really have a premiere because we had the strict COVID lockdowns at first and we were COVID free. And then we were set to open in New Zealand and it was the day, our premiere was the day that is it, Omicron came in the country and it all just went. So I think I was, my producer was like getting her hair done and I was like, hey, there's been a case. And then suddenly Auckland oh, was locked down and, and everything. So then it's so it staggered. It came out in New Zealand while I was locked in Auckland kind of a thing and then open in Auckland. And then it's had this really... At first it was devastating, but then it's been great. It's had this sort of slow release throughout the world and, and that's been nice. So it's been a slow burn, but it's building up to, okay, coming to America. So I was lucky enough to go to Palm Springs recently and that Edinburgh and Palm Springs, they felt like the sort of premieres for me and see it with an international audience. And it was lovely to see, we had 800 people at, the, at Palm Springs watched it and they loved it. It was just, it was really moving to, to have made it a year ago and then to be here and see people appreciating it so that's great it's kind of feel pretty nice to see people connecting with this story since there is a, such a large amount of you and your grandmother in the story yeah i was really nervous about that because you know it is a complete it is a fiction but it has you, if you're trying to create some sort of art you have to put yourself in it and and i suppose you do feel like oh if this really sucks does it mean i suck i don't know so i suppose it does raise the other stakes a bit waiting for people, but it is also, it's people seem to see themselves and their own families and their own relationships in the film, which is all you can really ask for, I think. So, and that's really nice because the film's about human connection for me. For me, it's a kind of a love story between those two characters. And it's nice to see other people connecting with it and seeing their own grandma or seeing themselves in it. I mean, there are aspects of it that are pretty New Zealand, but I would say, yeah, it's a universal story. The whole idea of the the mother and then the way that the son is connecting and not connecting with his father and then the grandmother in the picture. It doesn't matter whether you're in Auckland or Austin, just everybody has those kind of relationships. It was so great to be able to connect with this film. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I think it's because we all have our, we all have our black sheep and we all have people we still love but are estranged from and that kind of a thing. And so it's, it's normal, a weird way. So what else have you been working on lately? Uh, I'm working on my next feature, which is based on a short film I made a couple of years ago. So I'm working on that and writing a few TV projects here in New Zealand as well. Yeah, I'm just trying to get that next feature written and financed and hopefully do some really nice television as well. Are you still going back and forth between the acting and the writing directing? I thought I wasn't going to be doing any more acting. Then I just suddenly got offered something recently, which is going to be, which is shot over in, in America, actually. Yeah, it's cool. I don't want to put my focus into it, if that makes sense, because it's, I just love the singular focuses of focus of writing and directing, but it's fun to, to get in front of the camera and to do those things. And yeah. So I would have said no until about five days ago, but yes, it looks like. I'm so curious, what is your process when it comes to writing? Do you try to come up with a series of scenes or do you have the outline first? What is that actual like nuts and bolts for you or is it different each time? Different each time, but it's, sometimes you just see the story and something 
and then you want to figure it out or something resonates with you. It might be like you hear something and you're like, oh, I think there's something on that. So the film, I wrote a film called um, The Dive or a short film, which is about a guy who who's a reflection or he tries to kill himself in the worst part and screws it up really badly and then goes to the mirror in the bathroom and his reflection turns his back on him. And so just, and that's based on a painting by Magritte, the surrealist artist. So I just remember looking at that that painting and thinking, why does your reflection turn its back on you? And so that's a black comedy and the underlying themes of grief come through that sign. And so it's just like you find the kernel of something and it's, for me, it's what sticks around if you repeatedly, if you keep thinking about it, you've got to go and explore it. And I suppose it's about, I generally write a strong treatment as I'm finding something and try to think about the characters and the underlying themes, but that treatment is just a big splurge of things on paper gives me a snapshot of it and while I'm doing that I might write scenes and so on and then I go back to it and then I turn that into a screenplay but it's just about what you're naturally drawn to which I suppose is the sort of what your voice is around improvisation as an actor was always a strong point for me when I was at drama school and when I am writing a scene I do fully live the life of those characters like to the point where it's a bit embarrassing sometimes i might be crying or laughing or something will really crack me up but I, I really when i'm in the moment with writing those scenes i'm really like living it and feeling it and then i have to go back and reconstruct so yeah that is an interesting thing the voice of a character yeah i suppose it's just the way your imagination gets involved and that's how it kind of works for me yeah matthew thank you so much for your time this was great talking with you Appreciate the time. It's lovely chatting to you. Um, yeah, so thank you. Hello, Miss Lonesome. I see you back in town. It's funny how I lose my mind when you come around. Lonesome knows the thing 